I'm Elena Landsberg-Lewis, your host of Grandmothers on the Move, the podcast that kicks old stereotypes to the curb. Come meet these creative, outrageous, authentic, adventurous, irreverent, and powerful disruptors and influencers. Grandmothers, from the living room to the courtroom, making powerful contributions in every walk of life. We know them most intimately as loving caregivers, the older women in our lives with a thousand stories about their grandchildren and pictures in their purses. In this podcast, you'll come to know even more about our grandmothers. They are galvanized, determined, and are guaranteed to get you thinking. What drives them? What are they up to? What is the potential of grandmother power, and how is it changing the world? Grandmothers are on the move. You don't want to be left behind. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Grandmothers on the Move. I'm your host, Ilana Lansford-Lewis, and I'm very delighted to come back to you with an activist grandmother, Barbara Napolis, who I found out about by reading an article almost accidentally, Barbara. I read about the Dolphin Project and you as a grandmother activist to save and protect the oceans and dolphins in particular, and been working with the Dolphin Project since 2009 as the Latin American Outreach Coordinator. But First, welcome to Grandmothers on the Move, Barbara. It is wonderful to have you here today. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. This is something that's close to my heart because I know you live in Key West. I spent many, many years of my childhood. My family and I, we would drive to Marathon Key every winter. And I remember going to the marina. There was a dolphin show and having a very ambivalent and complicated feeling watching those dolphin shows. And so when I read about what you were doing, I thought this actually strikes an old and deep chord for me because even as a child, I always felt this terrible, guilty feeling at the same time that they gave me so much pleasure to be in proximity to them. (laughs) Well, yeah. Yes. I think we all have that past where we love dolphins. We'd love them to death by going to the marine theme parks. People don't realize, they think that the dolphins smile is a dolphin is smiling at you. But if you really look at the curvature of the mouth of a dolphin, it's not a smile. It's a frown. Dolphins are sentient creatures, but I'll tell you about that a little bit later. Let me tell you how I got involved. My daughter passed away in the year 2000. She had a very aggressive child cancer. We've lost her within nine months of being diagnosed. So, of course, depression set in, and I just didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I had to do something to keep myself from going mad. So there was a stranding of rough dolphins in the Florida Keys, and they moved him over to an area in Key Largo where the Marine Mammal Conservancy had an area where they would be able to rehab them and possibly release them. Well, I went there and I worked with them for a few days. I had an accident. I had to leave. I slipped on a slimy rock and I injured my ankle. So, of course, I couldn't work there anymore. But I was enthralled by them, you know, and and just thrilled to be there with them, doing whatever I could in the capacity of helping those that were helping them. So then comes 2011. There's another stranding and it's pilot miles. And, of course, I head out to also help them. And then I finally realized that my eyes were already open to the fact that captivity just comes in and helps them and they just take them into whatever marine park decides to have room for them. This is so sad that these people really conned those that were here helping the pilot well. 
But to make a long story short, there was only two surviving pilot whales from that pod, and they went into SeaWorld. One is Freddie, who is ill and, and dying, and the other one was R300, and she had bad scoliosis on her tail or her peduncle. And eventually they took her in as a patient that was being rehabilitated in SeaWorld. It was all for props. Back in 2009, I started a page after I read and I saw the film The Cove. The Cove is set in, it's a documentary, it had won an Oscar, and it's set in Taiji, Japan. Now, you're wondering why Taiji, Japan? Well, Taiji, Japan is one of the biggest exporters of dolphins for mainly China, Europe. They capture them. They kill most of the pods. They pick the best, most beautiful young female dolphin because, of course, they want them to reproduce in captivity. And then they train them, and whatever is not in the pod that it's not beautiful, they slaughter them. And this is, goes on in Japan for six months out of the year. That's just horrifying. Why do they slaughter the rest and they just leave them in the water? Barbara? Well, no, they take them to the butcher house. They slaughter them in, in the water because it's easier to have the blood go out into the water than having the blood on land where it bring a lot of bugs and stuff to the slaughterhouse. It's all very programmed. They slaughter them in the cold. They tie their tails and then they take them all halfway dying to the butcher house. And by the time they get to the butcher house, most of the blood is gone. Now, they do eat dolphin. They do eat certain kind of dolphin. They love Japanese bacon, which is made with the Rizzo's dolphin. There is a whole big quota of five to seven different species of dolphins that the Japanese will kill. Also, once the season is over, which is almost over now at the end of February, they will start harpooning dolphins. D-A-L-L-S, dolls, porpoises, and pilot whales. Now, mind you, I've been on Facebook following Rickleberry's Dolphin Project since 2009. There is a quota for 70 pseudo-orcas, that's false killer whales, and they have not caught one because they've already decimated the pond that migrate to the Kiroshiro current. In 2015, I went to Japan and saw this and tried to document this. I was lucky. I did not see any slaughter in the first week of September when I was there. So this is what I do. I want to leave the world a better place. I also am against plastics. I'm against all the plastics that are in the world and the oceans. You know, our oceans are extremely polluted. Right now, anything that strands once they open their mouth, even the birds are full of plastic. So it's a sad situation of what's going on in the world. And I just want to do something so that when my grandchildren are adults, they were either follow suit in what grandma has been doing, or, you know, they would learn how to have the tools and, and continue fighting because I don't think this is over yet. This is just the beginning. We're becoming aware and we need all people to do this. Just do one thing and, you know, help the world because your grandchildren and your children's 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 are going to be living here. You might not see the destruction of the world, but it's coming if we don't do something. I've heard that from a lot of grandmothers who feel that there have been lots of alarm bells over the decades about mm -hmm. how things are devolving and 
how human beings are encroaching upon the very things that keep our planet alive. I've heard from a lot of grandmothers that they really feel this in a different way now that they're looking forward to what's going to come after their grandchildren. And I wonder, before your daughter passed away, which is such a tragedy in life to overcome, were you involved in activism? I read in your blog that you had decided at one point to do just one act of activism a day. Is this who you've always been? Or did this really take off for you as a way to grieve and move forward? Well, to tell you the truth, I've always watched what's been going on around the world, even when I was not labeled as a quote-unquote activist, what I am now. I've always sailed. I was always out in the water. So if I saw a bag or I saw a piece of trash, if I saw anything floating, I would always try to pick it up and bring it back to land. So I don't know. My daughter also, my deceased daughter, I do have a stepdaughter, which I've also raised from when she was five years old. And that's where my grandkids come from. But I've always been involved with just trying, you know, it's, it's something inside me. But, you know, the funny thing about all this, and I wish I would have had all this knowledge of when I was younger, because I feel that now that I'm older, it's becoming harder to get out there and really protest and just do things. We're grandmothers that are doing this because we have all these years of experience that life has dealt us. So now with all this knowledge, I feel that we go out because at this point in life, we really don't care what people think of it, (laughs) you know? Seriously. I mean, when we were younger, it was like, oh, gosh, you know, what would so-and-so say, you know, when I lose popularity? Now our filters are down and we go the heck with it. We don't care. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you don't want to be my friend. It's okay. Goodbye, buddy. You know, don't let the Thor slam you on your butt because, you know, we don't need this kind of thing. We want positive people. We don't want negativity. There's so much things that people can do. You know, write petitions. If you find something, you know, I started writing petitions and I'm not a writer. I'm bilingual. I'm Cuban. I was born in Cuba and I came to the United States in 1961 and I've become a citizen and I've lived here all my life. You know, I'm very blessed to know the two languages. I've written so many petitions and I've gotten so much response and victories. If you go to change.org and you Google my name, you see that I have several victories. And some of them are like, you know, I just put this out there and people will receive the petition and they go like, okay, I give up. So you never know until you try. Nothing is impossible in this world. And the pen and paper is a mighty weapon. Very mighty. Absolutely. Of those victories, and I, I did read about them, they're astonishing what you've been able to do. Is there one that really stays with you for any particular reason? They all stay with me because they're all like my babies. Mm-hmm. You know, I gave birth to them and they went on and, and you know, and made a decision. I helped a good friend of mine we were in Washington, D.C. not too long ago. On April 10th, we went to give a petition to the EPA and me and my friend, Mila Demier, who was the person in charge of all this, we were in Washington and she was prone to having epileptic seizures and she decided to go swim in the pool and I told her, listen, go swim, do a couple of laps and, you know, I'll be here in the room getting ready because we're going to the EPA and we want to make sure that I know what I'm going to say, blah, blah, blah. Well, my girl never came back. She drowned in four and a half feet of water. So if there's one petition that really sticks with me, it's the say no to genetically modified mosquito release in the Florida Keys. Um, That one, I help her write it. And we've had uh, 
success, over 200,000 signatures, that we would like to bring it to a million in her honor. But we won. We won. But mm-hmm. I lost my friend. Yeah, so friend, sorry. So. Being written up in the Jakarta Post, that was cute. That was a tickle. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's exciting to see your name, you know, and you're going, but I just, I didn't think I was going to accomplish anything. And you'd be surprised. People get behind good people trying to do things. So yes, please be active. Please speak up for whatever. There's laws and no one is above the law, no matter what. I love to all our grandmothers, you know, kudos to us. Absolutely. And, you know, you said something interesting. You said when people don't want to sign on or don't care or or have a problem with you because you're outspoken, (laughs) that you're looking for people who are positive, not negative. And I'm with you completely in the way that you view all of those. But, you know, particularly in the United States at this moment, very often people disparage activists and see them in a problematic light. And in fact, very often you, you see in sort of mainstream media that activists are equated with a kind of negativism, right? With rabble rousing or with protesting. And, and that is not always embraced as something that is necessary and positive. Uh, I don't care. You find people coming around you, especially at protests, because they don't know what you're protesting about. Usually when I'm protesting um, in uh, Miami, I usually go to every 1st of September. I try to protest the Japanese consulate in Miami. I get prepared. I have flyers. I try to talk to the people, you know, try to plant a seed. I embrace everybody, but if somebody doesn't embrace me, that's quite okay. You know, we don't always have to be friends with everyone. I just want to plant the seed and whether you like me or not, that's up to you. You know, it's not up to me. I'm me and nobody's going to change me now, you know, in my age. Right. I've been married for 45 years, so there's not much changing that I do. And my husband supports me on everything that I do because he sees and he knows that what I'm doing it is for the future of my grandchildren and everyone's grandchildren. Because it's not just them in the world, everybody's grandchildren and children. They're our future and we need to better their education. We need to protect them, you know, from from gun violence in the school. That's so ridiculous. And, you know, I think we have to do something for the future because the way that everybody keeps saying, you know, the waters are so polluted. Well, you know, if we stop polluting the waters right now, they could change. It's not like sitting home and going like, oh, my God, you know, the water is getting polluted, but I um, can't do anything. Well, yes, you can. Get on the horn. Get on Facebook. Go to change.org. Write a petition and tell people how you feel about this. And you'd be surprised how many people can be behind you because a lot of people don't know how to do that. You taught yourself, right? I mean, it's not like there's an activist school people can go to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, I thought of starting one up. You know, first of all, an activist needs to know the law and needs when you have to be prepared. If you do a protest, make sure you go to your local sheriff's office or police department and you tell them that you're going to do this. They will support you because you've reached out to them. But of course, you know, there's always the good and the bad and the ugly of everything. So it's up to us to make a good protest and it's up to us to make sure that it is done within the scopes of the law. And from then on, that's just it. You you just keep going forward. I was reading a blog that you wrote that I thought was so insightful, painful, but insightful about cannibalism, activism. Activism, cannibalism. Cannibalism. 
Right. (laughs) Tell me about that because I thought it was touching and painful. Yeah, it's very real. You know, when you get on Facebook, there's millions of people there. And, you know, you're you're being protected by the screen and you can type anything you want, you know, and that's what usually a lot of people do. They become, you know, mean and evil. And I just I won't have any of that. I block people right away. I don't want any negativity. But it's called activism cannibalism, because when I first started on Facebook promoting my awareness of Taiji, there was a lot of people that hate it that I did that because they wanted to be the one, you know, and I said, well, you know, there's no reason why we cannot work, you know, in unison here to your idea and I do my idea. So they started bad mouthing and writing stuff. And, you know, that's what I call it. Activist cannibalism, because once you start making any progress as far as activism, no matter what it is that you're doing, people will try to put you down. And that's why I call it cannibalism, because they eat you up. They have trolls and people or heaven knows what it is, but they make your life miserable. Just ignore them. Yeah, ignore them, block them. If you're on Facebook, get them out of your life. You know, don't talk to them. It all depends how you respond back. Sometimes these people, no matter what you say, even if you agree with them, they will, they'll still hate you because that's the mentality. That's part of life, I guess. There's people out there that are brooding. That's why they lash out. Right. And you were saying something that I thought was really interesting to think about, which is that when things get really hard around whatever issue you're working on, whether it's, as you say, gun violence or the environment, climate change, saving the dolphins, that Mm -hmm. there's a lot of trauma that people are really, and particularly frontline activists, are witness to a lot of deeply upsetting and sometimes life-altering things and events. It's kind of hard to say because whatever it is that I experienced when I was writing that, I think I'm pretty sure I have taken care of it. Just don't let people bring you down. People love to bring people that are doing something that are happy with what they're doing. And right away, other people come in and they find faults with things. So I just try to keep a positive outlook. That's it. This is what I'm doing. I'm not letting anybody come between it. As long as it's legal, you know, I don't have a problem with it. There are always going to be haters. And the only time you've got haters, it's because you're doing something right. I love my haters. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, okay, and then on another another bent entirely, I'm interested in your grandchildren. You have an 8-year-old and 11-year-old. Do you share this with them? Have you imparted <laughs> to them? Do you see them uh, engaged because of your activism? And that's a very touchy subject because... I want them to be aware of their passion. My little one, when he was little and I would come to Miami, I was doing twice a year monthly protests. He would tell me, Grandma, did you save any dolphins today? And I would tell him, yes, my love, I'm hoping that I can. And he would ask me, Grandma, can you take me to save dolphins with you? And I would say, when you get old enough and you've studied hard, I will take you to go see the dolphins in the wild and I will help you save them. That's (laughs) it. You know, that's all. You know, when you teach them, he knows um, most of the cetaceans. He loves sharks. He loves orcas. Right now, he's really into Fortnite, but (laughs) he's not. (laughs) His grandkids are not into Fortnite. My granddaughter, she's an artist herself. She does uh, pictures for me when I go over there and visit. And of course, you can imagine how my refrigerator looks. But I love Abby and any pictures, you know, even when she did stuff and she gives them to me, she goes, I love you, Grandma, you know, abuela. It's amazing. You know, we're trying to raise them 
not pushing and shoving stuff down their throat like you must take this and boycott SeaWorld. No, what we do is we don't take them to SeaWorld. We don't take them to this aquarium. We don't take them to the zoo because the mom and me and my, my husband and the father understand that captivity kills. So we do have that as far as an agreement that we don't take the kids to anywhere where there's animal abuse. And they love to read. And, you know, I'm very proud of them. They're honor students. With that, that's fine with me. They will eventually learn. Right now, they just need to be children. Absolutely. And what are you hoping that they'll understand about what you've dedicated your life to? I'm hoping that they will one day Google my name and they would want to know what grandma was all about. You know, history speaks for itself and they will see the courage that I have, you know, with my age, just doing the things that I'm doing. And I hope that they take after some of that. And I hope they learn how to save the world for themselves. Once they get a little bit older, both of them, they'll start going with me to beach cleanups and stuff like that, just so that they know what life is about, what needs to be done. Yeah. And and that's what I'm hoping. And it's a precious gift to sort of role model and live by the courage of your convictions. Oh, thank you. Yes. And that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that I would show them what being a good citizen and a good steward of the world is. Yeah. So. You know, I'm not perfect and I understand that. But if we could just plant one seed daily, that would be amazing. That's true. I just want to finish up with learning a little bit more about what you're doing in your day-to-day life with the Dolphin Project and what it means to be the Latin American outreach person. What is it (laughs) that you're actually doing each day? I don't work the activism every day, but I do have several pages that I own on Facebook. And, you know, I just try to maintain the information coming from good sources and tell people and show them, you know, there's a lately with the social media and the internet, there's more news of uh, whales stranding turtles dying because of the cold and the climate change. I'm just hoping that, you know, I leave a legacy of some type. You're living in such close proximity to all of this. When you're in Key West, you're really on that sort of line between nature and its rawest and sometimes most wild form and Mm -hmm. what human beings have built. I wonder how that has an impact. Well, I'm hoping that by me, my documenting and, and my blog, that it educates people. People that are homebound. There's people that are ill and they cannot leave. And they cannot go to the ocean and have the ability that I have. You know, I lived in a sailboat for 10 years and those were the most amazing 10 years of my life. Wow. We lived there 95, 96, 98. I was living in 98 when my daughter was was ill. And then we kept the sailboat. We came in land because, of course, she needed someone to take care of her. Mm-hmm. And we uh, we came on land. But then afterwards, of course, we sold the sailboat and we just came back on land. We, we figured it's hard when you start getting older to be on the sailboat and having rough nights and rough crossings. You kind of say to yourself, it's just worth it. <laughs> <laughs> For 10 years, what waters were you in? We were cruising to the Bahamas back and forth, and I was staying in Key Largo. We had a little berth there. We, we were in a marina that was cheap enough before everything started going out of control. And it was a cheap rent, and the boat was paid for, so we lived there. We had a really nice 41-footer, so it wasn't like a crap little boat. We, we had a really good time. 
Yeah, that must have been extraordinary. Oh, extraordinary. You know, crossing to Bimini and dolphin pods left and right. You're just like, don't go away. (laughs) (laughs) It was like an invisible line that you pass and all of a sudden they just stopped. Oh, no, we're not going further. I guess it's their hunting grounds or something. But that was really interesting going back and forth. Yeah, it sounds like you missed it a bit. I do. I do. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go to swim with Wild Quest. They're in Bimini. They have like a week retreat for yoga and they will take you swimming with us. Wild dolphins, no walls on their terms. And it's amazing. Being an activist as a grandmother, as an older woman, what does it do in your life at this point? It makes me happy. It makes my heart sing when I go with my fellow activists and we protest. Aquarium, SeaWorld, Miami Sea Aquarium. It brings peace to me because I know that these sentient beings need to be released from these concrete pools. These are beings that swim over 90 to 100 miles a day with their family. And if you look at any of the videos of wild dolphins swimming in a pod or even orcas, you know, they're always touching. There's so much into family. I'm just happy that I'm doing this. I'm not looking for a pat on the back or write-up article. I do this for myself and for my family and for my own enjoyment that I know that I'm helping the world. Well, I'm I'm happy that you're doing it too. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I wish I was doing more. I yes. wish I was doing more. I wish I was able to travel more and go to the protest of Marineland Canada. You know, they only have one orca up there alone, Kiska. Each country has its own situation and its own problems. You know, now they want to put the wall through a a butterfly conservatory. Do you tell the butterflies, excuse me, take this GPS route now and don't come by here? It's ridiculous. You know, people are telling me, oh, they can move the sanctuary. And I'm going like, but what do you do? Do we get our red caps and go this way? (laughs) We just tell them to go the other way. I'm sorry. I just don't understand this. Thank you for everything you're doing. And it's wonderful oh. to hear that you're out there fighting the good fight and raising awareness as you do. And I thank you for it. It's really critical and important work. Yes, it is. And if your listeners can just please go and like the Rick O'Berry Dolphin Project on Facebook or even follow them on their website. They're an amazing group of people. Mr. O'Berry was Flipper's trainer at the Miami Seaquarium, and he turned activist. So how about that? (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, people do change, and, you know, just keep a good heart. Keep a good open heart, and do unto others as you would have them do unto you, and I think we would get by in this world with just that. And don't keep animals in captivity, and please, whatever you do, don't hunt them either. That's my opinion. (laughs) I share it. I share it deeply. Thanks so much, Barbara. Thank you so much for interviewing me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. I'm Ilana Landsberg-Lewis, your host of Grandmothers on the Move. If you want to find out more about me or the podcast, go to grandmothersonthemove.com and come back next week for another episode.